0: Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Brendan Bonsack. We are broadcasting from the Kulin Nation on Wawandri Land. That First Nation's sovereignty was never ceded, and this remains stolen land. We pay our respects to elders before us, now and into the future. Our guest today is poet and maker of useful things, Indrani Pereira. Indrani is the author of two books, published by Jinandara Press, as well as a number of e-books. She's a poetry podcaster and editor of an innovative new Poetry Almanac, which we will hear about soon. By way of introduction, here is Indrani and her piece, Recipe for a Poem.
1: Time, one minute to a lifetime. Difficulty, easy and impossible. Serves, zero to ten million. Ingredients, desire, rage, hope, lust, fear. Method, take a ripe idea, wild crafted ones are best. Trite cliches may be used in a pinch, although they will leave a somewhat bitter aftertaste. Blemishes, bruises and scars are to be prized for the extra flavour and depth that they add to the dish. Interrogate your idea with a laser sharp wit. Dull minds may also be used, but the results cannot be guaranteed. Sprinkle the idea liberally with verdant oceans and stalled car engines, being sure to coat evenly on both sides. Once your idea has macerated, drain lightly between metaphors and set aside. While your idea is maturing, hit a skillet over medium-high literary criticism. Hold your idea over the negativity and self-doubt, being careful not to burn your fingers. When fully grilled, slide the idea onto a warm plate and serve with a side of fresh dreams from the Garden of Hope.
0: Thank you, Indrani, and welcome to the show.
1: It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Brendan.
0: When was that poem written?
1: At least two, maybe three years ago. I did a poetry workshop with the amazing Australian poet Judith Rodriguez, and one of the prompts was to do an instruction. And at the time, I was doing a lot of experimental baking, so for me, a recipe felt like the natural thing to write. And I'm quite interested in the creative process and how... We make things, not just writing for me. I do a lot of handmade craft as well and the sorts of things we think as we're writing or creating something. And so it felt natural to write a recipe for writing a poem.
0: And how long have you been writing poetry for?
1: That's a hard question to answer because I started writing poetry as a teenager filled with angst and heartbreak, as you do. And um, I was lucky enough in 1997 to have a book of poetry published by Jinderra Press. And once that book came out, I sort of stopped writing for about 20 years. It was partly um, that second book syndrome of not knowing what to say next and also When I wrote the first book, no one knew I was writing poetry. No one knew there was a book coming out. So it was in anonymity and I could just do what I wanted to. But in writing after the book came out, I'd write something and think, oh, what are people going to think? Oh, will they like this. You know, will anyone get offended? And so that sort of put me off writing for quite a long time.
0: So the poetry you write now, is that a different recipe from what you were writing in the 90s?
1: Definitely. Yes, it's very different. That was a lot around relationships and people and how I saw them and interacted with them, I feel. There were other poems too, sort of social commentaries as well. Um, More recently um, I was writing about the creative process but also about my experiences of being a mother and having children. So that was a big change in my life and writing about that I couldn't do 20 years ago because I didn't have kids. (laughs) So they've made their way into my poetry and I also started in the last few months or maybe since the start of the year writing about identity. Um, I've got a mixed race background and at the start I was just writing about things that I guess everyone writes about and then there came a point when I was introduced to poetry and people writing about identity but I was strongly felt I didn't, Want to have to write about identity and have that define me as a poet, and so I resisted it for a long time, writing about identity and my my mixed race legacy and so that's something I've been exploring in my poetry recently is well, if I write about that, what does it look like, and how do I feel about writing like that and in some ways, it seems like it's expected, and they're the poems that you're meant to be writing. You know, there's a lot of poetry by, I guess, a dominant settler culture here in Australia and a lot of male poets as well. And so as a female poet of colour, it's a different sort of space and I wonder to, you know, when I'm writing about things about being a mother, I I feel that I don't read that in those kinds of spaces. Um, And this is what I'm trying to get at in my poetry. There's this tension between wanting to be like everybody else but also, you know, that I am also have a unique background that is different. How do I mesh them both together in my writing? So that's what I've been looking at. And it's not something I think I have an answer for currently.
0: Do you mind talking a little bit about your background when you say it's mixed culture? What what are the cultures?
1: So my father is Sri Lankan and he's been in Australia for 50 years now. So when I say Sri Lankan, he was born in Sri Lanka, but he migrated to Australia to do a PhD at Melbourne Uni. And my mum is a, I think, a seventh or eighth generation German Australian and she grew up in country Victoria and they met at Melbourne University. So when they got together in the early late 60s early 70s in Melbourne um they were quite radical in their time because you know it's a white woman marrying a black man yep and my dad's Buddhist and my mum's Lutheran so there's also two different religions there so it's growing up with all of those different things and yeah I think about them now and I think how amazing they were to have withstood all of that pressure from family you know to choose to marry the person that they loved and wanted to be with when uh, I was young and we lived in Melbourne, we'd do a lot of things within the um, Sri community and go to food fairs and I'd go to the temple and, you know, be sitting there in a, in a city terrace, cross-legged on the floor while the monks were chanting and my mum would be there as well. And then in the holidays, we'd head off up into the Wimmera Mallee and stay with my grandparents and we'd go to church and my dad would be there sitting in the pew. So my parents were involved in both religions. And they brought me up in both with the understanding that when I was 18, I could choose a religion. And did you? No. (laughs) If you're a renter experiencing hardship due to the pandemic, you can check now to see if you're eligible to apply for the Victorian government's new one-off rental relief grant worth up to $1,500. To help you, Tenants Victoria have put together an eligibility checklist. This will make it easier for you to assess whether you're eligible to apply for the grant, which is paid as a contribution towards rent. There are some steps involved to qualify for the grant. See the checklist for more information and visit the Tenants Victoria website for further details on how to apply. Go to tenantsvic.org.au and search for rent relief grants. Tenants Victoria is a 3CR supporter
0: a message from Victoria's community sector. I'm looking forward to not worrying that my patients are gonna die of COVID. To no one else being separated from their mum in aged care. I'm looking forward to our wedding and having our family and friends from overseas here with us.
1: I really want to see my mum. I'm looking forward to being able to welcome guests without a mask on.
2: To having all the sports back to normal so that my family members can come and watch me play. I look forward to performing in front of a big crowd again.
1: So please, get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Please get vaccinated. Let's get back to the good things. I ask you to get vaccinated.
0: For all of us.
1: Please get
2: vaccinated.
0: A message from Victoria's community sector.
2: A 3CR supporter.
0: You are on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. The show is Spoken Word. My name is Brendan Bonsack. I'm chatting with Indrani Pereira today. Who are some of the writers that influenced you?
1: Um, So not in terms of poetry. When I was young, I think the book that probably inspired me the most was The Little House on the Prairie series by Laura Ingalls Wilder. And that was a lot about making I like to make things. So that really inspired me when I was young. I've always been a huge reader, and fiction was always my go to. And I think I always thought I was going to be a novelist, but somehow I ended up as a poet instead. In terms of who I'm reading now with poetry, Tony Birch's Whisper Songs is the one I've most recently been reading, which is phenomenal. And it just has an incredible design, and the poetry is amazing. So I've been working my way through his collection and who else comes to mind? Angela Costi's latest book is Coburg. So I've been reading that as well. I tend to go to lots of open mic events around Melbourne and whoever the poet is, if they've got a book I'll buy their book and then read their work. And that's sort of how I get into poetry.
0: Do you miss the open mics?
1: Yes, I really, really do. The community in Melbourne is fantastic. They're just so welcoming and supportive, and it's such a great place to go and perform your poetry. I
0: remember seeing you at a live gig. You were spruking a tiny little book called The Pocketry Almanac, which was full of poetry, and it folded out so it was a piece of artwork as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about the idea behind The Almanac?
1: I love books. I love everything about books. I love reading them and writing them and making them and designing them and everything there is to do with books. And so I thought, well, I'm just going to start my own journal and that's how the Pocketry Almanac was born and it publishes emerging and aspiring poets who haven't been published in journals with preference given to poets who have been rejected multiple times by literary journals. because I'm interested in finding those voices, those people who want to be part of the conversation and they want to be heard but there isn't that platform or that avenue there for them and that's how I started the almanac and the almanac itself it's made from a single sheet of A4 paper and you fold it and then you cut it and it goes into this tiny little book and it has in it up to eight poems and I like to feature artwork as well if I can And then when you, on one side, it will have all of the poems and the artwork sent in by contributors. And then on the reverse is usually a vintage illustration from the end papers of a book. And then it all folds up and that, that vintage illustration gets hidden on the inside. You don't actually see that unless you kind of peek behind the scenes. For me, accessibility is something that's really important making it so that things don't cost money so anyone can afford them is really important, uh, especially if you're starting out. You often don't have heaps of cash and can't buy lots of poetry books and what have you. So the almanac itself, you can't actually buy it. You can only barter it or exchange it for an intriguing word or an unusual anecdote.
0: And have you had a lot of intriguing anecdotes?
1: Yeah, there's been a few interesting stories I've had from people and. In the podcast that I've uh, just started doing, there's an episode on The Almanac on issue three, and I put in a story there that Josh Cake, who's a Melbourne spoken word artist, that he exchanged for a copy of The Almanac. It's all about a tattooed lady. So if you want to hear that story, you can check out the Almanac episode of the season one for the Pocketry podcast. If you go to the Pocketry website, which is Pocketry.com.au and just go to the Pocketry podcast page, you'll find it there. It's also on all the usual places that you find, you know, Apple and Google and all those kinds of places will have it as well. I've already had on the podcast Emily Collier, Mark Chudinik, Dave Munro, Angela Costi and coming up we've got Scott Patrick Mitchell. They're a poet from WA and also Tabani Chuma, a spoken word artist from Melbourne.
0: What's it like interviewing poets?
1: That's a funny question <laughs> to be asked as you're being interviewed by a poet. I actually really like it. I was telling my kids the other night that it's great because I'm naturally a very curious person and a little bit nosy and I love ideas and it's great because everyone's got so many ideas and you get to hear someone's ideas and I get so inspired by speaking to poets and asking them about their process and about how they won awards or entered competitions, you Know how they go about performing their work. It's just fantastic. And it's so interesting to see where a conversation goes because I have the same sort of questions that I ask everybody and yet each interview has gone in a completely different direction.
2: As a child, I used to worry about what was under the concrete. Could the ant still breathe? And with the shadows of the houses and... Underneath the floorboards Was there still enough light? And if a nest was blown out of a tree Would the birds ever recover From their sadness And did we keep them awake At night with our clatter? Would the cows left to cope By themselves in the rain And cold wind in the boulders Forgive us for Leaving them there. Could horses ever forgive us for making them pull such heavy loads throughout the ages? Could the seals in the English Channel forever dodge the huge tankers and passenger ships?
0: are on the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio, and that was a track from a new CD by Yelchi and Friends, entitled As a Child, with music by Jacques de Jong. You can find out more about their new poetry and music project at www.ftloose.com.au, that's Footloose. My guest today is poet, editor, and all-round maker of beautiful things, Indrani Pereira.
1: We ride the night. As I pass under a street light, my shadow sails silently ahead of the churning pedals, the muted rubber rolling tarmac and miles, and into the pool of black, the sound of her voice as we do a circuit of still suburban streets. All the houses are closed and dark, sometimes a crack of light from behind a curtain. I'm ever vigilant for cars, ever vigilant for danger, ever straining behind her speaking. And then the violent roar rips the evening gown of night just after we've navigated the roundabout and just before the parked car. Fear harries and hustles, urges haste off the road as she cuts in front of my wheel, then noise fades and fear lingers intense shoulders. Wheels spin, shadows glide and the sound of her voice as we ride the night.
0: Wow, spooky. What's the story behind that one?
1: So last year in the pandemic uh, my 15 year old daughter and I would go riding around our suburban streets when it was dark and before I think there was a curfew then so it was before you had to be inside for the curfew and it was eerily quiet on the streets you would just not hear anything and most of the houses would look like there was no one in them because they're all inside behind their curtains. So all the houses were closed and dark and the streets were empty and we would just ride and she would talk and I would listen as she was talking, but I was always, you know, aware that there'd occasionally be a car coming, you know, so that I guess feeling of being a mother and always aware and wary.
0: Was it a big change for you becoming a mother?
1: Yeah, (laughs) it was huge. Definitely. Yes. Yes going from being independent and doing whatever i wanted to do to having a small package telling me when i could eat and (laughs) go to the bathroom and all of that yeah it was massive
0: i noticed on your website that during the pandemic last year you hosted song circles on zoom what was that all about
1: so in my spare time i and part of an organisation called Fire Keepers and they do nature connection camps and activities for families and young people and people of all ages. And during the pandemic, they were having song circles on Zoom. So usually we'd go camping out in the bush, say, for five days at a time and you go out adventuring and then you eat in the mornings and in the evenings get together for a shared meal and then there's stories and songs around the campfire. And so during the pandemic, we were doing those song circles online and I was hosting those with my young daughter. The strange thing about Zoom is you can't all sing at once. So you have one person who will sing and everyone has their microphones on mute. So it was that, that lovely thing of being able to see people's faces, but also that sadness of you can't hear all your voices singing in unison anymore.
0: And can anyone join Fire Keepers?
1: absolutely they're 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 fantastic you can look them up online I think they're firekeepers.com.au I can remember as a kid reading in a book I would have had to have been a book because that's what I did as I read books but about how you can rub two sticks together to make fire so I tried that myself so I went out and I grabbed two sticks and then I laid them one on top of each other and rubbed them back and forwards. And, of course, fire didn't happen because that's not how you do friction fire making. You actually, to do it, you need to have um, a baseboard, which is a piece of wood that you lay flat on the ground that has a hole in it. And then you put a stick in the hole and then you swivel the stick backwards and forwards. And that's how you do friction fire making. And that's one of the skills that you can learn on a firekeeper's camp, as well as bird language and doing sit spots and Sense awareness expansion so that you can learn to walk more quietly and you can hear and you can see using your peripheral vision. So it's it's things like that to connect you to nature and the more than human world around us.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's great. Firekeepers.com.au. Would you like to read another poem for us?
1: This next poem was published in Jindera Press's anthology, I Protest. Intergalactic Tourism. One, close your eyes and imagine deep space. Next, picture a tiny blue planet orbiting a yellow star. Now zoom into the planet until you can see its moon. Remember to dodge the dead satellites in the graveyard orbit. Two, you're in the cockpit of a space shuttle. Program your controls to land on the moon. Make sure your jetpack is working and your helmet visor is coated with gold to protect you from the sun's rays. Step onto the surface and gaze at the footsteps and the sharp shards of dust. Marvel at all the incredible sights. Two golf balls, a watch strap, nail clippers, towels, shaving cream, 12 pairs of space boots, gloves, used wet wipes, electrical cables, crashed probes, a falcon feather, bags of vomit, and six American flags.
0: Do you ever look at the world and feel despair? Or are you another kind of person?
1: I think I'll probably oscillate between despair and hope. I have a teenage daughter who is incredibly passionate about the environment and incredibly angry about, you know, what the generations before her have done and are doing. You know, on the one hand, I think it's incredibly messed up and how we're going to work our way out of it. But then on the other hand, I remember reading something a little while ago. Someone was talking about how, you know, it's only in the last couple of hundred years, really since the Industrial Revolution took off, that we've done this. So, you know, we can reverse it in a couple of hundred years. Like if we make an effort, the the only problem is, you know, getting the right people in the right places to make the changes that are needed. And I think that's where the despair can creep in. But as I tell my daughters, it's all the little actions that everyone takes can add up to make a big difference. Because if everyone, you know, uses less plastic or doesn't buy something because it's not made with, you know, ethical ingredients, then that has to force companies to change.
0: Do you think the politics can change under the influence of young people?
1: Well, I don't think the onus is just on them, really. I mean, we still have a voice. You know, I'm still hoping I've got at least another 40 years left on the planet, you know, and that's a lot of time to make change and do things. I don't think the onus should be completely on them because, I mean, I'm a big believer in you make the mess, you clean it up, right? So we've got to start cleaning it up. It's not not their burden to carry alone. No way. I, I think that the systems that we have, they're not perfect and I don't think that they work terribly well. I don't know what the solution is but my my almanac is one tiny little thing that's trying to change the world in its own way by making publishing more transparent and accessible and making it not about money because I think making things about money is a big mistake because when it's about money that's when people hold on to it and hoard it whereas you know it sounds like a cliche, but some the best cliches are there because there's, they say something important and that's the things that are most valuable can't be bought with money. They never can be bought with money. You can't buy a true friend, you know, you can't buy respect. You can't buy integrity. You can't buy the things that matter, really. If you're published in the almanac, you are paid in 20 copies of the almanac. So I send them out to the poets who are in the almanac and the artists, and then they get to put them together and then distribute them or barter them or whatever they want to do with them. And in terms of getting them out, I've just got a little stack waiting (laughs) from the last issue, because I usually, if I'm at a gig, I'll exchange it for someone, maybe leave it at a bus stop or a library, you know. So I haven't done that because of the pandemic because I kind of think, oh, people might not want to pick it up because, you know, they'll be worried about germs and stuff. So hopefully there'll come a day when I can just happily leave it, you know, tucked into a book at the library.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to the day we can barter a copy for a curious story. Thank you so much for being on the show today, Indrani.
1: Thanks for having me. It's been awesome chatting.
0: To find out more about submitting to the Pocketry Almanac, go to www. Pocketry.com.au and follow the links. This is also the place to find episodes of Indrani's free podcast series where she interviews poets from around the country. And while we're on the topic of podcasts, don't forget you can access podcasts of this and many other of our programmes at 3cr.org.au forward slash spoken dash word or subscribe to 3CR Spoken Word with your favourite podcasting app. Please tune in every Thursday at 9am. Spoken Word has been on air for over 10 years now and have no plans to stop. You can stream us live from 3cr.org.au or tune your radio into 855 AM. My name is Brendan Bodzak. Stay safe and thank you for listening. (laughs)